0: To the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast, linking entrepreneurs, investors in the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we're fortunate to have Jonathan Kite. Jonathan is the CEO of Rent Ready. Um, Rent Ready is a services platform that uses technology to deliver an end to end make ready service for apartment communities. In other words, they help help apartment communities turn um, as one renter moves out and another one moves in. Um, They've been around for about six years, currently service three markets, Raleigh, Charlotte, and Atlanta. As you probably are already aware, they just raised a nice Series A round um, earlier this year. Um, That is obviously gonna give them an opportunity to put some fuel on the fire Um, they're in the process of rolling out their, um, their own mobile app, which will further help their, you know, apartment communities leverage the service that they're providing. It'll make it a, um, a more scalable service at the same time. So it's a good opportunity to sit down and talk with Jonathan a little bit about his background, find out, you know, who he is, where he's from, um, uh, hint, he's from Charlotte. So, um, we'll talk about his, um, uh, his his co-founders, uh, Will and Ryan, um, what each one of them brings to the uh, to the table from a management um, team perspective, um, and then how the how well the three of them mesh, how they're growing the company, uh, and what they see for the future. It's a really interesting podcast today with uh, with the Rent Ready team. Um, we're finding out more about the Rent Ready team as Jonathan walks us through that process. So, hopefully, enjoy another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. All right, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast today. Excited to have you on board and get an opportunity to discuss Rent Ready with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having us. Uh, certainly appreciate it and looking forward to sharing.
0: So, now, I mean, you've had some exciting news break over the course of the last 90 days. So, it should be a fun little discussion here. Yeah. So, um, as you know, on the podcast, you know, just kind of a little icebreaker that we typically start off with is the, the 30 to 60 second commercial of who Jonathan kite is. So, um, you ready?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Let's have it. Sure.
1: Um, so I grew up in Charlotte, uh, which I know is kind of a rare thing, uh, for Charlotte. So for me, it's, uh, really a dream come true to kind of, uh, be here, uh, you know, be engaged in uh, the startup community here in Charlotte uh, and really kind of serve this market. Um, Growing up, I was uh, always obsessed with the process of creating uh, and engaging in creative activity. Um, Originally, when I was growing up, I actually wanted to be a film director. Um, That was always my passion. Um, When I was in high school, I was uh, very into kind of uh, digital video creation uh had a film company uh had a website where we were streaming videos way before youtube even existed uh and you know i think that the creative process and the exposure to technology to kind of facilitate that is really what opened my eyes and built like a really deep-seated passion for technology i was obsessed with computers as being this creative tool uh and how much they kind of assisted in solving problems and informing creativity um, and just really kind of became obsessed with technology as a result of that and just loved how much uh, technology changes things and how it unlocks new potentials and it's interesting like even in thinking about our business day like the technology we use to run rent ready today didn't even exist when we started the company um, and to me that's just super exciting um, so like on a professional note like I'm drawn to technology because I love solving really difficult problems. I love building technology systems, watching them scale, passionate about building fun, engaging teams and work cultures. Um, And on a personal note, I'm I'm a big serial hobbyist. So uh, I love diving deep into whatever I get into, uh, whether that be cycling, coffee, making pizzas, uh, listening to music like love to go as deep as i possibly can master the craft um so excited to be here
0: today and and appreciate the opportunity yeah no thanks for joining us that sounds awesome um uh favorite kind of music um i'm a huge david
1: bowie fan um so and you can't really pinpoint him to one particular type of music given how long his career is and how much he has changed and been a chameleon so
0: that's awesome yeah um so coming out of school, you went and worked with, uh, is it Microsoft? Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, so started at Microsoft really the very first day I was uh, out of school. Uh, it was a dream come true. Uh, had really kind of three distinct different careers at Microsoft. I mean, it's a huge company. There's tons of directions you can take. Um, I started off in account services, so I managed uh, a portfolio of, you uh, Sorry. No, you're good. Uh, got some some dog issues going on here. Let's... Hey, hush. Quiet, quiet. All right, get going again. So um, so I started right out of college at Microsoft, which was really a dream come true. Um, and I had kind of three very distinct different careers at Microsoft. Uh, started off in account services, uh, so managed a portfolio of clients uh, in the southeast, uh, really advising them on product product strategy. Um, so it was part sales, part customer service. Uh, and for me it was really foundational because it really ingrained a sense of customer service uh, in me. Uh, at Microsoft, you're kind of given an opportunity to take a couple of different routes. Um, you can either get very technical uh, or you can kind of be more focused on the customer. Uh, and less technical. And for me, I wanted to be more technical, more involved in product and product development. Uh, So in my sort of second stage at Microsoft, uh, I joined a group within there that focused on uh, operational consulting. Uh, So kind of shifted gears and started to live out of a suitcase uh, for a number of years uh, and really worked with a number of clients across the country, kind of focused on operational excellence around things like Uh, system configuration, system monitoring, IT planning, uh, risk assessment, deployment, um, and again saw a ton of different companies uh, and was exposed to kind of how they use technology to solve problems for their particular business, um, which was you know, really great opportunity. Um, but for me, you know, when you do consulting, it's a very short term interaction or a very short term engagement where you're focused on solving a very specific problem. Uh, and you kind of help drive a customer to a resolution and solving that problem. But you never really get to see what the long term impact uh, of your work or those those changes ultimately are. Um, So in my third act at Microsoft, I kind of shifted uh, and moved to Seattle and worked as a program manager on uh, an incubated team that was really focused on taking this legacy piece of software that Microsoft engineers used to actually go on site to customers and install um, to perform a a series of monitoring steps for them and to convert that into a modern cloud service. Um, And we were doing this really pre-microsoft azure so before you know the big boom of aws and azure and we had uh this awesome opportunity of really using pre-access versions of what would eventually become azure um, to to build this new cloud service um and for me i was just really blown away with really the speed and scale uh that cloud technology really enabled in terms of taking an idea from a business concept uh, into something that you could execute on a global scale in a matter of under a year, uh, versus something that used to take you know decades to really build in terms of that level of scale. Um, and so, like that was a, I think, a truly foundational experience for me uh, in terms of opening my eyes and ter- uh, to what technology could really do for a business. Um, and a lot of the learnings, you know, really across all three of those roles uh, have really helped me in terms of uh, building what Rent Ready is today.
0: And it was in that last position when you're out in Seattle that Rent Ready started to come about. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I was out in Seattle uh, and my two other co founders, uh, Will Brew, Ryan McMillan, uh, kind of met in Charlotte and started talking about this idea. Um, and so Ryan uh, really is kind of the origin story of this company. Uh, he worked in the multifamily industry in a, a various number of roles, started his career on site, you know, moved his way up uh, to a regional manager, eventually working in uh, corporate offices as well. So he really lived and breathed and saw firsthand what this problem really was, which was that there's this mission critical process for apartment communities which is how do you take a vacant unit and get it ready for a new resident in really a three to five day time span? And what he really observed was, you know, onsite teams aren't given a formal process for how they approach this. They're not given any technology or tools for how they really manage this as a process. And so they really approach this with a, a best effort mindset where they're going out into their local communities Uh, finding, sourcing, vetting, and then ultimately coordinating uh, the scheduling of four to five different vendors to get a unit ready for a new resident. Because every time a unit gets vacated, uh, there is a highly sequenced uh, set of steps that have to happen. It's got to get professionally repainted, uh, deep cleaned, carpets need to be recleaned. Oftentimes, surface areas like tubs, countertops need to have enamel reapplied to them. And so each one of those services requires a very specific vendor to facilitate that. And on-site teams have to figure out how to get this done and they've got to get it done quickly. Uh, And on average, most apartment communities are turning over 55% of their units on an annual basis, uh, which is really an astounding number. So you take just like an average size apartment community of 200 units, that means that they're turning over 100 units every single time and again engaging with four to five vendors each one of those times so that's you know four to 500 times they're having to go through that process and if you think about any interaction you've had uh, with a contractor in your personal life a handyman electrician plumber uh, and you think about finding them making sure that they're going to do good work scheduling them handling that invoice i'm going to step out on a ledge and guess that was not a 10 out of 10 experience. No. Uh, And so thinking about doing that, you know, across 100 units with that that short timeline, you start to kind of see how big of a problem this is uh, for on-site team members. And so he realized, like, there's a huge opportunity here uh, to streamline this process and to improve this uh, because it's a really antiquated approach to how they handle this. Uh, And this was really about the same time that you saw a lot of B2C technology enabled marketplace companies uh, really coming into their own companies like DoorDash, Uber. And he kind of had this vision of, you know, wouldn't it be incredible to apply that same concept of a marketplace uh, business to this problem specifically. Uh, and so he and Will kind of started talking about this this business idea. Uh, and I grew up with Will uh, here in Charlotte. And, you know, Ryan had this really insightful uh, vision. Will has this incredible business background coming from investment banking, uh, working uh to kind of make investments in other companies and help them grow and scale. And, you know, he approached us like a banker does, like looking at the the opportunity, uh, the market. Uh, and so the two of them approached me and kind of just innocently asked a question, well, what do you know about scheduling software? Uh, which, you know, I didn't know much, but I knew I could, you know, help solve that problem. And they, they started to describe it to me and I became really interested in it because, you uh, it's such a complicated problem to solve. We're trying to figure out how to sequence a number of services across a number of business lines uh, to deliver a completely seamless experience to clients. And so I, I kind of bit hook, line and sinker uh, on that, that very innocent question uh, and started to kind of think about how we could apply technology to that problem, uh, kind of working on that at night and on the weekends while I was out in Seattle, uh, until I, I kind of hit that inflection point where I said, "This is, this is a great idea. Uh, I've got to quit my job and and move back home to Charlotte and really focus on this full time.
0: That's awesome. Um, so it is, um, it's a, um, it's a B2B platform, right? So in other words, the apartment unit, do they have a web interface or do they have an app? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So we're, we're very close to releasing a mobile app and web interface for them to interact with. Uh, right now our customers, uh, Really, we're just a phone call or an email away uh, okay. to help them with that scheduling process. Gotcha. One of our ultimate goals is to really try to make this process as frictionless as possible and automate uh, as much of this workflow as we possibly can uh, for apartment communities. But you're absolutely right. Like you know, our primary customer are on-site managers property managers maintenance managers they're the ones who are tasked with figuring out how to get these vacant units ready for new residents Uh, and frankly they're super busy they've got tons of other responsibilities uh, everything from making sure residents are moving in on time making sure uh, the community is well kept property preservation resident satisfaction uh, and on average you know we have found that people on site who work on this problem are spending anywhere from four to eight hours on a weekly basis just facilitating the delivery of these services through vendor networks Uh, which yeah that's a tremendous amount of time uh that's being taken away from what their core focus should be which is residents uh and so for us like we're built to make their lives easier
0: awesome um so how many folks do you have on board now
1: We've got 35, uh, employees working on this problem. Um, some are here in Charlotte. So we've centralized a, a lot of our functions here in Charlotte. Uh, and then we also have folks, uh, in each of the markets that we're serving kind of directly client facing, uh, to help, you know, provide service to to customers.
0: Okay. And those current markets are Raleigh and Atlanta, uh,
1: Raleigh, Atlanta, and then also here in Charlotte.
0: Okay. Yep. Sorry. Raleigh, Atlanta, Charlotte. Yep. So, um, and you recently completed series a round as well. Um, $10 million series a, correct? That's right. Yeah. Congratulations. That's um, a good accomplishment, right? It's validation of business model was validation of, um, of, of market potential, um, is validation of team. So, um, how'd you celebrate? <laughs>
1: uh, it was a very quick
0: celebration, I would
1: say, cause, uh, you know, you, it's a major milestone but it also is an indicator that we've got a lot more work to do um so i think we all kind of threw our hats in the air uh toasted virtually uh yeah. and then realized all right it's time to get back to work so quick celebration for us
0: that's awesome uh, was this your first raise?
1: we'd raised uh, a seed round of capital uh in 2018 uh, okay. much smaller value about one and a half million um, okay. so for us th- this is the the first major round of investment okay
0: so, friends and family kind of light capital in 2018, exactly. Yeah, um, essentially, um, so that you could continue to turn on lights and do things that you needed to do. Um, but this was this is the one that puts up, puts fuel on the fire, so to speak.
1: Yeah this this is this is huge for us. Uh, you know we consider this to be a, a big inflection point like to your point uh it signals that we have product market fit yeah. uh that the hard work that we've put in uh refining our business model across those three markets uh refining our technology platform uh has gotten us to a point where you know we have confidence in really fulfilling our vision of make ready made easy for apartments across the whole country um and for us we we think that's true because we're really just applying a very proven Model just in new markets. So uh, again, this this model is hugely successful on the consumer side, uh, connecting either a consumer or a business to a marketplace of services. Uh, we're just doing the same thing on the B two B side that you know again uh, companies like Uber, DoorDash are doing with consumers. And so right technology, uh, right business process, uh, right business model. Uh, now we're ready to scale that across the country. Yeah.
0: Um, so Don Rainey with GrowTech helped lead the round. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we've, we've built a lot of relationships uh, over the last several years with a lot of different firms, uh, really in anticipation of the need to raise this capital uh, once we've kind of figured everything out. Uh, We got to know Don uh, over the course of, you know, the last year or two, and we felt like GrowTech was really the ideal partner for us, Um, because it's not just an investment, it's a partnership. Uh, And we were really looking for expertise uh, in a group who had worked with companies that have built marketplaces before, uh, who have worked in multifamily before and had, you know, really deep product expertise. Um, and GrowTech really checked all those boxes uh and have been phenomenal partners thus far. Um, and then in addition to GrowTech, we were able to kind of build a really strong group of well-known venture funds in the Southeast, uh, several kind of real estate prop tech focused funds. Uh a lot of our current investors also stepped into this round and, and a lot of awesome support in Charlotte as well, um, from groups like uh Creative Co Capital.
0: Okay. Um we had Don on the podcast a couple, uh, it's probably a year ago now, um, and had talked to him about some of his previous successes that he's had, he's brought to brought to the firm, interacted with, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, he's had a Don's had a nice track record. I mean, that's got to be, you know, had to feel good to get that team on board, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think the connections that he's been able to make for us, and uh, sort of uh, helping you know, provide mentorship, uh, and really connect us to, uh, other folks again, across, you know, all the areas that we're focused on marketplace, build out product, build out multifamily, like those connections have been invaluable for us. And, uh, he's just been a, a, a great partner, uh, has a really great way of helping problem solve, think through problems, simplify those problems and really focus on what's important.
0: Yeah. What, um, Circlebacks, so we've got a, a fair number of founders that listen to the podcast in addition to you know investors and potential investors, etc. Talk a little bit about because you said you know you worked on building relationships over the course of the last year or two. What is what is what does that mean? What is you know, how do you build those relationships over time?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think for us it's really about uh <laughs> Constantly staying in touch uh, with with people who potentially uh, can add value and where you can add value, um, and so for us it was talking to people who had again uh, made investments in you know prop tech, uh, multifamily, getting insight uh from them in terms of validating the problem that we're trying to solve Um, and so it's really for us just a process of of networking trying to seek out people who you know fundamentally understand the problem that we're trying to solve Uh, and that network effect of connecting you uh, from one person to another to another uh, i think is incredibly helpful again in terms of validating product market fit uh, as well as, you know, building lasting connections of people you can trust and validate ideas uh, in terms of how you're kind of approaching expansion of your business over time.
0: Yeah. Um, do, y'all do, do y'all do like a regular investor newsletter or do you just communicate on a pretty consistent basis via phone calls, emails? How do you handle the communication with those networks that you're building?
1: Yeah, so uh, we do try to provide uh, consistent communication with sort of a newsletter style, just like you're you're kind of calling out uh, usually every other month or quarter uh, to that group to kind of keep them aware of you know big projects that we're focused on, you know big sales opportunities that we're approaching. Um, super helpful for us. Like uh, in the last year, one of the things that Rent Ready did in response to uh, the pandemic was actually launch a new service line uh, that was focused on providing electrostatic uh, disinfectant spray directly to apartment communities and vacant units, common areas. And, and that was you know a, a pivot and a project that you know, communication to our investor group led to our ability to suddenly scale that idea out on a national level through the connections that they had in the multifamily industry and quickly go from this idea of like, you know, this is something that we think the multifamily industry needs is underserved. uh, And this is how we're going to approach it uh, to then being connected with, you know, VPs of different multifamily groups and be able to kind of pitch this idea on a national level. And so like that communication uh, with your investor group is key. you know, in terms of getting great advice, but also in helping you kind of scale your business and validate an idea uh, that you want to take to market quickly.
0: You brought up a really good point, which is 2020 happened to be a different year. Yeah, <laughs> that's, different that's an levels. understatement, yeah. yeah. Um, it did not go according to script. How's that? Um, how did that impact y'all early on and then as the year, um, as the year developed? Um, as we kind of started to see what it was going to look like and, um, yeah, I mean, I guess through the summer.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it's hard to believe it's already been a year, uh, it has been. but, uh, those first, I think 60, 90 days were some of the the scariest of my life. Uh, personally, I think just the unknown, uh, of what's going to happen. How long is this going to take? What is the the impact truly going to be, um, and it's, you know, I think naive to consider this, uh, what we've just been through to really just be uh, an economic downturn or an economic impact. This had a, a truly deep and profound psychological impact on people. And uh, we certainly saw, uh, saw that happen in the, the multifamily space where, you know, again, I kind of reference that very consistently on an annual basis, 55% of units uh, will turn over in a given year. That move out, move in behavior instantly changed overnight. Uh, and again, I think that was largely psychologically driven. People did not feel comfortable moving uh, because people didn't know you know, what the impact was to their safety and their health. Uh, and so kind of March, April timeframe certainly saw a, a big decrease in the number of residents moving out of apartment communities. Um, Which again is one of the reasons we decided to launch uh, this sanitization service, uh, which was a really uh, incredible experience for us because uh, we It was super validating we we kind of took our platform uh, came up with this business idea uh, kind of shifted our uh, teams quickly to kind of service and sell remotely as opposed to in person because apartment communities were shutting their doors. Uh, and really launched the service in a 30, 45 uh, day timeframe. And we're suddenly able to uh, start delivering this sanitization service on a national basis without any footprint in any of the markets that we were serving. Uh, and kind of went from zero to 22 cities in 45 days uh, delivering this, which to us was kind of this unlock moment of this is the power of the platform, the power of technology. Uh, The power of building provider networks. Uh, And so for us that came at the it was the right pivot at the right time, offering a a very needed service uh, to apartment communities that really helped us kind of weather that storm over time we kind of saw that psychological impact decline uh, and we've seen uh, turns return to a more normal uh, average has not fully recovered yet, obviously. Um, But certainly that immediate hit and impact that we saw early pandemic uh, has waned significantly.
0: Um, Year over year growth last year in the face of everything?
1: Uh, Essentially flat year over year uh, last year, which to us, uh, we think is a major victory.
0: Oh, yeah, Uh, absolutely. Given the number of turns that fell through the floor from March to, I would imagine, June or July, probably, Jonathan, is that fair? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And for us, uh, our business follows a very seasonal pattern where usually, uh, April until October, uh, we see, you know, 40, 50% increase, uh, without adding any customers just in normal demand from clients. And so, you know, that, that pop didn't happen, uh, in 2020. And so for us, the ability to kind of sell through that, uh, and maintain flat year over year was a, a tremendous victory, uh, for our company.
0: No, um, absolutely. Um, How do you capitalize on expanding? So selling through the disinfectant to 22 additional markets last year, how do you capitalize on that as you start to roll forward, right? You made new contacts, you have potential customers, you're gathering data on different cities. Um, What did you learn through that process that's going to help you expand rapidly on the back end of this?
1: yeah um i think we learned a a couple of lessons um i think obviously like to your point the expansion of the relationships that we have is probably one of the most critical things like when you think about starting a new market uh it's really a chicken egg dilemma you you have to have customers uh, in order to attract uh provider networks of contractors who are painters cleaners Uh, Because if you don't have that demand built in there, it's really hard to recruit people. Uh, Conversely, uh, if if you don't have the other side of the platform, it's also difficult to sell if you can't actually serve. Uh, And so for us, like building footholds of relationships in markets is critical to how we move forward with market expansion. When you have pre-built relationships uh, with apartment communities in a market, it's much easier to recruit uh, a workforce to deliver service and build a provider network in that market when you've got that built-in demand from day one. Uh, and so that was, a, I think, a key learning lesson, as well as like understanding, really, the network effect of selling top-down, where if you have a relationship with a management company that spans multiple markets, Uh, It's very easy to approach them and say, like, wouldn't you like to provide consistency in how, you know, your portfolio of apartment communities approaches this make ready process across the entire country, as an example. Um, And so I think that was a key lesson for us, as was really pushing The interaction to one that is very technology driven so we approached uh, the delivery of sanitization services uh, very differently, so you kind of asked the question early on. uh, How the customers interact with us and you know to date for our primary core services it's you know an email phone call away to get that Uh, for sanitization. uh, We drove all of that through technology, it was all online ordering uh, online tracking and fulfillment. And really the operational load that that reduced uh, made it much easier to service a national portfolio of clients very quickly. Uh, and it was really the first service that we ran on our new platform. Um, so we you know, have kind of iterated through multiple technology stacks over uh, the last several years. That was the first to launch on our new platform, which was really intentionally built for scale. Uh, so for us, it was super validating in terms of the vision of driving technology disruption uh, into this industry, and pushing technology interaction in a way that you know adds value to customers. And so that was kind of a light bulb moment for us uh, on both of those fronts.
0: Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, you, know, you look in. You're in the middle of 2020. You're looking forward, and everybody's talking about the um, the death of two things, right? Um, the death of office buildings. Um, and the death of large cities, um, right. Everybody's going to move out to the suburbs or they're going to move out to Montana and fly fish all the time or do whatever it is. Um, which, you know, um, fundamentally alters the growth of multifamily, which happens to be a a target market of yours. Right. Um, by and large, as you mentioned earlier, your turns are getting back to normal, um, or turns on apartments are getting back to normal, And so the death of apartments or multifamily, you know, has has largely or will most likely be largely uh, uh, overstated. What are y'all hearing from, you know, the multifamily folks that you talk to, right? How's that growth? How are they looking? Is it, um, is it Southern cities are succeeding and Northern cities are losing or is everybody back to everybody heading back to quote unquote normal?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's an interesting question, and I think you kind of keyed on keyed in on really where those differences are, which are largely geographically driven. I think certainly more back to normal in the south as opposed to the north. Uh, certainly, I think there's a population migration to the south in general, um, but I think you know there is certainly going to be and currently is a shortage in single family housing. Uh, and multifamily housing is always going to be uh, an affordable option, uh, and you know I, we don't see and have not felt uh, through our you know relationships and conversations with uh, folks in the multifamily industry that that's changing anytime soon. Um, for us, I think the the positive is the problem statement that we're trying to solve, uh, the challenge that on site teams face is a problem that exists uh, in every MSA and also every secondary and tertiary market uh, out there, regardless of the apartment community size, uh, the apartment community location. This is a problem. Uh, And in fact, you could state that outside of major MSAs, this is acutely even uh, a larger problem where it's difficult for folks to kind of staff and build networks of contractors and vendors to really service apartment communities. And so for us, uh, you know, MSAs are always going to be a target, but those secondary and tertiary markets as well, I think are going to see an increased demand uh, that wasn't actually there a few years ago and potentially sort of changes or reshapes our strategy of how we think about geographic expansion moving forward
0: um so so southern southern cities for for a while for rent ready then
1: yeah and for a couple of reasons i mean obviously like it's much easier to to launch a market uh within closer geographic proximity uh in terms of you know actually being able to put boots on the ground uh for us like when you think about the difficulty of launching a market i think it's critically important that Uh, leadership is there uh, and and really helping and engaging in that process like we are a very grinded out company and realize that uh, everybody's effort regardless of who you are is critical to success Uh, when we launched both raleigh and atlanta all of the co-founders were there every week uh, helping you know directly with recruiting vetting of provider networks going door-to-door to do sales And so that geographic proximity is certainly impactful Uh, and likewise you know the networking effect of the relationships that we have with apartment communities in the three markets we serve today again are really springboards into new markets and because many of those uh, regional relationships at a management company level again are geographically condensed into the southeast it just makes sense for us to kind of target markets in the Southeast that uh, we have great relationships with management companies that we service in Charlotte, Raleigh, and Atlanta.
0: So, you're on this with those relationships with the existing multifamily units. I don't want to say they'll make the decision for you, but they'll help you, they'll help pull you into strategic locations that are likely strong opportunities for you on a go for basis.
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and that can come at multiple levels. Uh, that can come top down from you know a, a regional manager or a vice president within a multi-family uh, group, but it could also just be word of mouth. Uh, I mean, a lot of our growth to date has been word of mouth referral. You have a great experience on site, uh, and. You know, maintenance managers, property managers tend to move between communities very frequently, both within their own management company and across management companies. And so a great experience that they have with you at apartment A, they want to see that carry over to apartment B. Uh, And so for us, either direction, you know, word of mouth at the site level or top down, like both are great strategies for us in terms of uh, growing and expanding our footprint
0: um back up for a little while with me um <coughs> you um you're the ceo of ready right that's that's right yep um so and you weren't and you were right you were there from the beginning um you you'd almost think naturally that um as Ryan is the other co-founder. So you've got Ryan, Will, and you, right? Ryan's yep. idea, Ryan won't CEO, right? But, um, that's not the way it worked out, right? It's, it's you that's leading the team. Um, how did that come about? How did, how do we get, how do we get our roles with the, with three co-founders, right? Um, obviously with one co-founder, single co-founder is, is A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Um, but how do we bifurcate the roles amongst the three of y'all?
1: Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, at first, I would say like, I think there's great strength in having three co-founders versus one. Again, you think about the diversity of our skill sets and how they complement one another, you know, industry experience and vision, business acumen and background, technology, like the three of those are really critical uh, to really having a a diverse uh, mindset in how we approach and problem solve. And obviously, when you start a company, roles don't matter. Uh, Everybody is there wearing hundreds of hats, doing whatever it takes to get it done. Um, As you expand over time and you start to add specialization into the team, uh, new members into the team, uh, it obviously starts to become critical to add some structure to that. And, you know, they kind of say the magic number is 20 right once you hit 20 employees that's the inflection point where you really need to start thinking about having a more formal hierarchy of how you approach that. Mm -hmm. And so, for us, I think we all had unique skill sets. I think the decision uh, for me to kind of lead the company forward was really based on a shift in our business uh, to being primarily driven by technology and my experience in sort of customer service technology my passion for communication kind of made me the best fit for that role and then also allowed us to structure the company around kind of the inputs to success Um, so ultimately we're a marketplace which means we kind of have two different unique customers or two sides of the business and so we wanted to build the company around optimizing the journey of both of those customers because Yes, apartment communities are our customers, but our service providers that we go out and recruit to actually uh, fulfill that client demand they are customers too. And we want to focus on providing just as good of an experience to them thinking of them as a customer persona as we do our apartment communities. And so we very intentionally structured our company around those silos so Ryan helps lead that sales customer journey and drive demand into the platform. Will helps drive that uh, provider journey uh, and try to provide an excellent experience for all of the service providers that we're bringing onto the platform, which ultimately funnel into our service delivery team, which is kind of comprised of the day-to-day operations of customer service and technology. Uh, so wanted to be very intentional about optimizing both sides of the platform uh, to ultimately build a really strong foundation for the company.
0: Yeah. We had, we had Bundle um, on the podcast not too long ago, right? And they're building a similar uh, marketplace, right? And they're building a marketplace um, between borrowers and, um, and essentially mortgage brokers. And they talked about some of the struggles of doing that uh, and some of the successes that come along with it too, right? Um, what, you know, what struggles are there for y'all in building a two-sided marketplace um, in multiple cities over time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest struggle is realizing that any change you make on either side of that platform irrevocably, it has a major impact on the other side. So you optimize for one thing on the provider side that's going to impact clients and vice versa. And so being very keen to the impact and relationship between those is critical. But certainly, like making sure that we have the right strategy in place to scale that provider network is critical. Uh, The marketplace is only as valuable as your ability to serve clients who want to come into that marketplace to acquire services. It's like that's always that's always been a struggle, and we've built that brick by brick over time uh, and are constantly looking for ways to kind of optimize the way that we build those provider networks uh, in creative ways to ultimately help scale that more quickly.
0: So, no, I mean, it makes sense. Um, it makes absolute sense. You, um, you were into film as a kid um, or as a kid. I'm sorry. Um, as in your teenage years, uh, you're also on the debate team. Um, right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Love, love debate, debate, nerd,
0: debate, nerd. Um, how has that helped, you know, how has that helped you as you push forward a company, right? As you step into the CEO, um, and, um, and really, I mean, obviously take a $10 million capital infusion and, and try to push a company, into you know the stratosphere, so to speak.
1: Yeah, well, I can certainly say d- debate nerds are a very special breed of people, uh, and that is certainly a thing. Uh, for me, like, I, I love debate uh, and aggressive debate, uh, for that matter, because I love the concept of the exchange of ideas. Uh, and to me, like to build consensus, you have to have debate. Uh, And I'm very much a consensus builder. I think that's one of my strengths uh, and really helps in terms of kind of driving ideas, projects forward within a company. Uh, And so for me, like you cannot get to the right idea without laying everything on the table. And so I openly encourage uh, very aggressive debate. Uh, However, like that comes with the caveat that Once that debate is had and once that decision is made, like you got to be on board with that decision to move forward. Um, And so I think, you know, my experience in having done that uh, in school has been, you know, a a gift and a curse. Like I think for some people, uh, they're not used to that type of culture. Yeah. Uh, That is certainly the cultural norm at Microsoft. And so, like, that only further amplified that uh, tendency that I have where, uh aggressive debate uh is just a a part of the day-to-day and that's something that I, i have intentionally tried to replicate here at rent ready uh like get the people who are impactful to making a decision in a room engage in the debate and again like realize it's not about hurt feelings it's really about getting to an optimal outcome and you can't get there unless there's free exchange of information uh and opinion
0: yeah Um, no, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's always, I don't, I think you're the first debate. I've never heard it called a debate nerd, but I'll take your word for it. I think you're the first debate nerd I've had on the podcast. So an honor. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you raise some capital, um, and you know, economy is obviously turning back on Southeast continues to deliver. Um, what's the, what's the intention? How are, how is the company I was ready going to use, Use the capital. What's the strategy for really, you know, um, putting on uh, or putting the pedal to the metal, so to speak, and, and really letting the company go now?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's it's really threefold. Uh, so, first and foremost, it's really about uh, doubling down on investment in technology. Um, so, like at its core, uh, our customers view us as a service provider. And when you compare and contrast the way they approach solving this problem today, like our number one value prop to them is we are a streamlined single source provider of all of these services. Um, And really what we're building from a technology perspective is all been in focus of fulfilling that particular value prop to clients. Like how do you build a platform that facilitates the sequencing and scheduling and delivery of, you know, 40, 50,000 uh, instances of painting and cleaning on an annual basis. But adding additional value on top of that from a product perspective directly to both uh, apartment communities as customers and service providers uh, as customers is critical to us in terms of fully automating that workflow and removing as much friction as possible to the point where you know it really becomes a no brainer. Like we want to be the standard. Uh, across the entire country. And to do that really requires a major investment in technology, uh, both in terms of building incredible value in the product itself, uh, again, for both sides, but also in terms of our ability to scale that uh, at a much, much larger level. So that's really the, the first use of uh, funds is making sure that we're making the right investments in technology. Uh, and then Second and third closely related, it's really about hiring to support that growth uh, operationally in terms of the support functions that are needed across customer service uh, across quality management. uh, But also to actually launch new markets geographically, um, which takes capital takes time takes hiring uh, and so really those three things technology operational growth and and market launches uh, were really the intent behind the capital raise.
0: When you talk about technology, y'all are, um, how much, how much of this raise will allow y'all to bring the tech in house, um, versus how much of it will be, um, kind of a hybrid role for y'all?
1: Yeah. So, uh, really we want to, to build our technology in-house. Like that, that is ultimately the goal. Uh, certainly we have relied on strategic partners to help us through that process. Like Creative Co Capital is a great example of that where you know they make uh, investments in startups and really help guide them through the product development process. They've got a great team of engineers, UX designers, product managers who really help and they have certainly assisted us in that process. Um, but we want to kind of build that acumen directly into our company. Um, and so, you know, whether, whether that means a doubling or a tripling of the size of our technology team, like whatever it takes for us to do that, there's, you know, probably 10 years worth of work that we have ahead of us that we need to, to tackle. And it's about how quickly we can really approach that.
0: Yeah. 10 years worth of work in 10 months.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No problem. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. So, um, be careful. Your hairline will look like mine before too long. Um, so um, that wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> no. I, well,
1: I, I suffer from this the same affliction, and it's yeah. it's happening rapidly. So. Yeah, no,
0: there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so, um, what? Um, how? So you mentioned earlier as we were talking about the th- um, about your debate team experience and everything that, you know, one of the aspects of debate team is to debate, to form consensus, right? Um, How well does that work with your three, with the three co-founders, right? Um, And how has that grown and matured over time?
1: Yeah, I I think it works really well. Um, I think all of us have super strong personalities. uh, And I I think that over time, like that has only uh, amplified and opinions only grow stronger. And therefore, the debates become more and more meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say that that has continued to improve. uh, And I would expect that that will happen forever, uh, just based on our trajectory. So.
0: Has there has there been a time where you walked out of a room and, and punched the wall yet, or no, not yet?
1: <laughs> Maybe in my mind, yeah. uh, but I've never actually uh, put my my fist through a wall yet. Uh, yeah,
0: that's awesome. Well, good because don't do it. Most of the time, it ends up with a broken hand. Uh, yeah, or, yeah. Or, so, or so I'm told. Who's the right customer for y'all? Right, is it, um, is there a size apartment? Um, no, nothing less than fifty doors or um, do you only want to deal with, um, with multifamilies that have multiple locations or, you know, how do you, how do you identify your target market?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, the reality again, not to sound like a broken record, uh, is that this problem does exist like at every apartment, um, mm-hmm. regardless of size, uh, regardless of market, we serve, uh, apartment communities as small as 30 units. Okay. Uh, And as large as 800 units Uh, and so we feel like we add value to customers at really every level uh, in that stack as well so fundamentally we're built to solve the problem of the on site team, the maintenance manager, the property manager. Uh, To make their lives easier, more convenient access to these services, uh, again, driving that concept of a B2B marketplace to free them up to focus on what they really need to be focused on, which is resident experience. But we also add value at a higher level, whether that's an owner-operator or a regional manager within uh, a multifamily uh, company, because ultimately, we can help drive things that are impactful to them, like uh, sort of preventable occupancy. So making sure that on-site teams stay on track. Because every day that an apartment is not rented is lost revenue to that apartment complex and to that multifamily group. Uh, and so when on-site team members try to fulfill these services with local mom and pop vendors, if there's any disruption in that process, if you know they're working with Bob's painting as an example, and it's just Bob and his brother in a van, which is very common. And Bob's van breaks, and that unit doesn't get painted, and they miss a move in by two days and they miss out on that lease. That's super impactful to the NOI of that property. And so, being able to offer that essential guarantee of reliability that we can fulfill that service exactly when they need that done helps drive that consistency of schedule adherence that's super impactful to owner operators who are very zeroed in on making sure that this process is run efficiently. So at every level in the stack, like we feel we add tremendous value. Uh, it just depends on how you define value uh, and how we make their lives easier.
0: Um, no, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Go yeah, ahead, I, mean, I say
1: I would definitely say though, I mean, to your point, I, I think, you know, again, the problem exists regardless of community size, but I do feel, uh, you know, the larger the community, the bigger this problem becomes like, if you think about, you know, an 800 unit uh, apartment community, that's huge. That's 400 plus turns every single year. Uh, And so that is a near impossibility uh, for a maintenance manager or a property manager to keep up for that. So for us, like we are essential uh, to communities of that size in terms of helping them make sure that this process stays on track and that it's consistent. You know, like maintenance managers, property managers, the the way that they manage this process today is they actually use a dry erase board and they'll build out a matrix on that dry erase board where they'll enumerate all of the units that need to be serviced on the y-axis and then the sequence of services on the x-axis. And then they'll build a matrix and just pencil in the dates after they've manually called each service provider to validate that they can perform the service on that date. And then they just cross them off uh, as those services get completed which is problematic for a number of reasons it's a whiteboard uh, and it's stuck usually in a maintenance office somewhere and so it creates this sort of bermuda triangle effect of transparency on site where a leasing agent has no idea what's on that whiteboard only the maintenance manager knows that he or she may have kept that up to date may have not kept that up to date so nobody really knows what's happening uh, for a unit turn and that's super impactful. And when we think about our product and the vision of where we wanna take that, like the recreation of that turn board experience that they are building on a whiteboard today is critical to the product that we're building and soon will release where we wanna give onsite team members the ability to create a customizable digital equivalent of that whiteboard that they can manage themselves everybody on site has access to that. So there's full transparency into what's happening. They place an order, it shows up on their turn board in the sequence that they want. As our service pros are interacting with their mobile app, clocking in, clocking out, that turn board is updating in real time. So they have immediate line of sight into what's happening in that unit, um, which is again, a wholly different experience than how they approach this process today. And you can kind of see how impactful that is in terms of, uh, building value as an organizational tool uh, for on-site team members to manage this as a process.
0: No, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, you can see where the product development goes really quickly, <coughs> and how it can really aid the um, the folks on, st- on staff. And you know, somebody that's interested in multi-family, you can see where it starts to aid the returns that the product starts to generate as well, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm always interested in returns. Um, so we're coming to a close here. So just to kind of, a, uh, a quick wrap up question, and maybe it's not quick, maybe it is, um, you were working for Microsoft, yeah. um, in port, um, or in Seattle, um, and Seattle happens to be a fairly decent startup community. Um, given the fact that we have Seattle, um, we have Amazon and Microsoft both there, right? Your co-founders call you with this problem, um, of a uh, helping apartment communities and based in charlotte north carolina yeah um yeah. and you pick up and you move across the country to charlotte rather than calling them and telling them to pick up and move across <laughs> move the country here. to seattle yeah yeah um what um what uh, i mean how does that go right i mean um how did you you did you view the fact that you needed a startup community or did you think charlotte was strong enough or um, or did you just want to be back where the other two founders were? Was there a thought process that went into it?
1: It's an interesting question. To be honest with you, it never crossed my mind, yeah. uh, and you're right. like That should have just hit me square in the face. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Charlotte, yeah. uh, and so for me, it was a bit of a homecoming, uh, and uh, while the multifamily uh, market in Seattle is, is certainly booming, it was in Charlotte as well and is in Charlotte as well. So, in terms of a market to start a company focused on servicing the multifamily industry, uh, this was a great place to do it. Uh, And I think also I had a tremendous amount of confidence in my ability to help build the foundation of the platform that we would use to launch the company uh, and went into it with an expectation that this is going to take a ton of hard work, and it's all going to be on me, and I think I can get it done. but that, that was an epic road trip home, I have to say. Uh, I think I, I made the decision on a, a Monday, quit on a Tuesday, uh, left on a Wednesday, three days across the country with my dog, uh, which is I feel like a world record maybe. <laughs> um, and uh, got you know, rolled back into Charlotte on a Friday night and started work on a, a Monday morning. so uh, and have been doing it ever since.
0: Well, it's funny. I was um, at a and I was actually on a podcast the other day with um with John Espy. Um and we were kind of shooting the breeze back and forth because uh I don't know, probably four years ago I had John on my podcast and you know, I had him on the podcast because of a debate that was going around town at that point in time, which is does Charlotte need more capital is or just um to support founders or do we need better founders? <laughs> um And John had written an article that I think he put it on LinkedIn or one of the other, you know, popular sites to put articles on at that point in time, put it on an article that it wasn't more capital that Charlotte needed. It was just the fact that, you know, founders needed to be, they needed to be better at what they were doing. Um, and that came from a founder, right? I mean, John was there with level from the beginning. Um, and so we were talking about it yesterday. Uh, or the other day about the the concept. And, you know, at that point in time, I was making the argument that we need capital to support the founders. And obviously John had written his own article that we needed founders to attract capital. Um, And you essentially, and I told John the other day that he was probably ended up being right. Um, And he was happy and um, toasted me and everything else. But you, I mean, you kind of validated that, that thought process, right? I mean, you put together a good founding team um, that can execute well, that can coordinate, around multiple different iterations of a problem, grow the platform and attract the capital no matter where they sit. Um, so y'all have done a nice job of that. So it turns out you didn't have to be in Seattle. Um, Charlotte was good enough because y'all were, um, were better than you needed to be. So that's neat to see. Yeah, thank you. So, um, so anyways, but uh, congratulations. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome to see local people um, you know charlottean so to speak um, succeed in the startup community um, and bring charlotte along with it so love having you in charlotte or i guess love having you back in your hometown i guess i'm lucky that y'all let me in here um and um good luck with execution of the capital um and good luck with continuing to grow the business through multiple uh, multiple markets um over the course of the next couple quarters and years
1: yeah thank you and i really appreciate the the time that you gave and questions you asked and love to share the story and and appreciate all you're doing for the charlotte community yeah
0: well we'll have you back on in a couple years when you go public how's that can't wait (laughs) sounds good well thanks a lot jonathan
1: yeah you too thank you on This program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments.
0: Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.